0: Like much of the Midwest, probably all of Middle America, really, United States America, uh, it's been hot and then cold. We had 71 degrees on Sunday and then all the way down into the single digits by Monday night going into Tuesday. What a ride. We were hanging out at the lake in February. I thought that was really fantastic. Uh, tried again to ruin the carnivore diet, realized that my body does not like it. Um, And so I'm back to eating carnivore. If you don't know this whole saga, there's a couple ways that I talk about it, but probably the main one is through my newsletter. Uh, So if you are not on the newsletter, feel free to sign up there. You can comment here. I'll get you added or uh, any other way you want to find me. I'm out there and it would be awesome. My guest, on today's podcast is KT Carlisle. She wrote the book recently published, Reasonable. Her story is fantastic. She owns a marketing agency uh, and has a lot of experience in this area. So it's fun to talk with somebody who is now trying to apply all of the marketing techniques that they have taught their authors to their own books. Uh, the pitfalls, the successes, the sadness, the joy. Everything that goes along with book marketing, boy, oh boy, is it tough. I guess probably everything is tough. I assume that book marketing is a unique kind of hard, but maybe everything is a unique kind of hard, you know? I'm feeling that a little bit these days with losses. Uh, The anniversary of my grandfather's death on the 28th, it has been a strange year, unlike any I've experienced before. And so maybe everything is hard. But it's all worth it, too. You just keep pushing through and making the best of everything that you can. If you're out there, you're experiencing loss and hardship, I want to encourage you. It's okay if you falter, if you fall, if you rest, if you check out a little bit. It's okay. But get back up and decide what is important and chase it. Because that thing also might save you. Lean into the thing you love because it might help you. Uh, That has nothing to do... Well, not nothing, actually. Uh, KT is familiar with loss as well. She lost her father four years ago, and that's exactly where our conversation starts. So please enjoy my conversation with KT Carlisle.
1: This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system, with enamel, takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. I had r- lost my father, and I spent a lot of time sort of... Feeling lost and not wanting to write or even read because that mm. was something that he had always supported me in and him not being around to enjoy it felt wow. like, not, like it just wasn't worth it to me. And then I just realized that I was really dishonoring his memory and not doing the thing mm. that I was born to do and that he always supported me in so i spoke to my husband about it and he was like no i've been telling you for years like you need to just sit down and write your book so go ahead and do it already and i was like whoa okay Mm. great i have your (laughs) i have your support now too i'm gonna lean on you and we're gonna we're gonna bang this out so i i finally just sat down and did it and then a hundred days later i had my book and the book is reasonable it's the first in reasonable. a crime that's, fiction. That's uh, the
0: least yes. exciting uh, review I've ever heard from an author about their own book.
1: I, no, that's the title. <laughs> um, that's funny. Uh, it is, uh, but the title is Reasonable. Um, and it is a the first in a crime fiction trilogy. Um And really the the book centers around this idea that a woman uh, committed suicide in college and her friend never believed that that is what happened. And she Mm. goes on to become a detective and really spends her entire life trying to prove that this is not what happened and she was actually murdered. Mm. Um, Meanwhile, another woman is Falsely accused of a murder that she deep down knows that she did not commit even though she had every reason to do so uh, And even though she can't remember exactly what happened. So those are the sort of two things that uh That happen in the book and their stories sort of o- overlap and feed off one another Um. And yeah, so that that's reasonable. Um, Forget Me Not is coming out May 13th. And then the last book in the trilogy, I am working on the first draft now, but I do expect it to be out by the fall.
0: Oh, cool. Okay, so you're writing in a breakneck speed. Oh, yeah. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's like once once I said, okay, I'm gonna do this. I was like, okay, well, now I can't turn it off. And now I have to do it all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. There is a ton of ground to cover, just in kind of the little recap that you gave. So, um, one, I want to say that every person's uh, experience of loss is individual, and so I am sorry for the loss of your father. Um, it's it's an unbelievably painful and personal experience. Um, oh
1: yeah, and thank yeah. you for that. It's it was just he died so young so suddenly and just it was one of those things that like you said like it's just, it just rocks you to your core and you really look like you don't yeah. know yeah. how to respond to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh and then so on on the back of that, the uh, podcast listeners to this show know that and you know, hear me out before you respond, because I, I, I trust that a lot of people maybe feel similarly, and and maybe I'm wrong here, but I always like to front load this. I lost uh, my cat. He was my best friend um, for 15 years. I got him in 2008, right uh, on the uh, front end of the Obama election, and I remember just like. The feeling of taking responsibility for him, there's a backstory to it as well, just for how I got him and what I wanted to do for his life. But, um, he literally spooned with me every single night for 15 Uh years when I was at home. Um, and when he was around, I would be doing my writing. I would be doing my podcasting. I would be, uh, whatever it was. He was the one that I, I didn't speak verbally to him, but like there was, um, this sense of just really close connection. And I lost him recently. Uh, I also lost my grandfather who was much like my father uh, about a year before that, just um, almost a day. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a year of loss. It's been a year of losing my best friend and my mentor um, and so that's why I wanted to say first, I understand that you losing your dad has nothing to do with me losing my my cat or my grandfather. But in the sense of loss as a general thing, you and I have experienced that. You and I have felt that. And some of our listeners have felt that, that sense of like, there is a void now that I don't even begin to understand how to fill. I can no longer tell yeah. a person who means more than words could ever express uh what it feels like to do this yeah. thing. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll 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 Talk about this entire show in the shadow of loss because you said something that really Mm -hmm. captured my attention and something that I had never dealt with before, which was how do I do this thing that I'm meant to do in the absence of somebody who really matters to me? I can no longer prove to dad. I can no longer prove to my friend that I am going to make it. And that was always a huge motivating factor is like one day I'll stand before you and say, look what I've done. Right? right. And that's, it's not, uh, the funny thing is, is that's not the, uh, the jealous, like the, the, because one of the things that happens to us is somebody along the way tells us we'll never achieve our goals, but it's actually the person who tells us we will achieve it. If that person leaves us suddenly the motivation to achieve is like, who now do I stand before to get that? Like, I'm so proud of you. Good job. What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? Now I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when the time you spend doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results, and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah rah shish boss tries to get you emotionally excited, only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, highly tested and targeted formula. The founder Steve Piper is a data loving formula driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following and millions of copies sold with ammo. You know who's reading your books how to contact them and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books and losing 50 to 70% of your hard-earned money that you're making through sales, AMO solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readership. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Absolutely. A hundred
1: percent. Like... That was the thing that I struggled with the most. And I think that a lot of people who have lost somebody or or even like you said, like losing a pet, like that's like, I don't, I'll never forget. I was in high school and one of my good friends lost her dog and she was a mess. I mean, she had that dog since before she was born and I was comforting her and the kid in our class said, oh, who cares? It's just an animal. And I was like, oh "How can you say that to somebody who is a yeah. crying her eyes out right now?" And B, like, <laughs> the, like just because, like, animals are, you know, in my opinion, far better than humans and far more loyal. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> like, what what, just... what animals tend to be is is right, like you said, loyal, um, and and. There's an innocence attached to an animal. Yes. It's funny. We have, so we have three cats, and two of them, as like, callous as this will sound, two of my cats I could not care less about. Uh, one of them we inherited after my grandfather died, and my grandma wanted to put her to sleep. And I was like, no. Nah. Uh-huh. Last plenty yeah. of life left. Like, give her to us. She shits all over the carpet. She shits on the floor. She pisses everywhere. Oh She's like, yeah, it's horrible. So but like, I have
1: four dogs and one <laughs> of them is yeah. exactly like that. He's like a, a an old man. He's incontinent and he's yeah. very grouchy and like, yes. oh man.
0: <laughs> and, 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 and you're like, okay, that's, this is my burden to carry. It sucks, yes. but like, whatever. <laughs> because of that innocence, because of that sense of like, you're not corrupted by all of the horrible things that life uh, throws at humans. And so you've got that going for you as well. But there also is something about a really special connection with an animal that in ways can fill a void that no human can too. Because like I was saying, I didn't speak to Chewy ever. I didn't didn't talk to him. Well, not ever. I mean, if I ever talked to him, it was almost the way you talk to a baby. But there was a mental kind of emotional connection that was like he would come and stand at my feet. And I knew that he knew in those moments I was very riled up. I was upset about something. And he could feel my emotion from anywhere in the house. There's no
1: mm-hmm.
0: spatial, uh, like, need versus if you and your husband, because you talked about your husband and and his amazing support of your career, your husband can't be in a different, well, not can't. Anyways, the point is, is that your husband will use a lot of your physical cues. He'll see your eyes, he'll see your lips, he'll see uh, your eyebrows, all of those things, and he'll decide, okay, right now, Katie is upset, so I'm going to comfort her. An animal somehow is picking up, like, Six senses of information from anywhere in the house and all of a sudden Katie's upset and the animal rushes, the dog rushes to your side to comfort you. There's something Mm -hmm. really cool happening and it's not in words. And I think that's why animals are uh, somewhat overlooked for the value of the relationship is that they can't speak but what they can do is they can key in to all of your other senses and understand, like, I need to go comfort right now. I need to go be with, I need to stand in solidarity with. And yeah. so I think that that's really profound and uh, too few people give that the, the space that it requires.
1: 100% agree. I mean, like my dog Yoda in particular, I have four dogs, but my dog, mm-hmm yoda is my dog like he's the one that like you're saying like if he detects any sort of anything disturbance wrong with in the me, force yeah, right exactly any disturbance <laughs> yeah. in the force and he's there <laughs> no but for real like he I, yeah. I always refer to him as my little soulmate because he just like yeah. he, he gets me in ways that other people and animals just do not but anyway i digress animals are amazing anybody yes. who thinks otherwise can take a hike <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I live I live in a small town, so uh, I can see the entire uh, population of my town from my house. Uh, we, we're, yeah. we're just a town of 900, so it's very, very small. Same, and, um,
1: same. <laughs> okay, and I was going to say,
0: when you live in a small town, almost always you have kind of agriculture, like rural around yep. you. And so oh, yeah. people really don't value animals. Like uh, I always tell yes. the story of the beginning of Chewy is that uh, I rescued him. The owner was going to uh, put the kittens in a a burlap bag and just run them over with a tractor because in his mind, right? I know this is crazy. In his mind though, that was a more merciful death than uh, the late autumn birth. So there was a, a litter of kittens that were born in October and mm-hmm. to let them try to survive through the winter in Nebraska would have been a slow suffering. So in some sense, I'm kind of like, okay, I get, I get your calculus. I get your math, but yeah. at the same time, it's crazy to think uh like you're going to actually be the enactor of death which um, yes. at this point in my life I've actually I have murdered uh an animal in in love like before I say murder because it's such oh, a right thing but yeah we had a cat and uh there was there was a, a a moment where uh he had a a seizure and it was about 14 hours of pure pain and so I called my father-in-law and I said let's take him and and um I actually shot him It was a horrible feeling, but it was the right thing to do. So you have such nuance in all of this. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we first moved here and that aspect of living in a a rural area, it's kind of a culture shock because, you know, you deal with, almost everybody around here has their dogs chained up outside and, or, yeah. you know, in a, in a yep. crate, like outside all the time. And it's Vermont. No so right. yeah, like, it, yeah. like we're in Vermont and it is like below zero during the winter and they're yeah. still out there. And I'm like, that seems wrong. Why, why are we doing this? But it's also right. like, this is a lifestyle and you're kind of acclimating to that lifestyle, and this is the way that they have done things for many, many, many generations. So it's exactly. just like, whoa, okay. But yeah. um, you got to have like sort of a, a different perspective on it. But yeah, I, yeah. I totally... Totally identify with that. That was something that when I came here, I was like, oh, my God, I I don't know. Like it was like my brain broke because I was like, I like it... this person and I realize that they're a good person, but I really hate the way they treat their dog.
0: <laughs> yes. It sounds like you and I have a similar experience of like I came from an actual urban setting. Yep. Um, I was mm-hmm. born and raised in Denver. And so to live like in a town of 900 after being born and raised in a town of millions is very different. Um, oh
1: yeah. Yeah, I'm a Jersey girl originally. So go. when I yeah, when I came to Vermont, I was like, "Okay, things are different here." <laughs> yeah.
0: And I I do love it. I I will admit. Um I I I take our dog Lyle. So he's um he's a, a Great Dane uh mix and I he's very teams. big. I I love him. Uh I take him for a walk every morning before the sun rises. And um, I love the quiet of this town. You know, there's there's yeah. there's a time in this town where there's no noises. Nobody's up out and about. Uh, the bar closes. It's not even open on Sundays. Like it's just so quiet. And yeah. that is really really great. It's good for my thinking. It's good for me as an author. It's good for me as a person. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy because everybody around me just thinks of animals as utility. And I think that's the thing that's really tough is, is that in my mind, animals are not utility. And in my experience, I I should say like my actual lived experience tells me that animals are not utility.
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent agree with that. Like, you know, I think that there's, there's a balance there, right? Like, because certainly like, you know, animals, are useful they you know you have your hunting dogs and they're and they are very useful for keeping the pests away you have your chickens and they're also useful for keeping pests away but then you have to eat them (laughs) yeah exactly you need to eat as well (laughs) yeah so there's this like there's a give and take relationship there but i think you know for the most part i definitely i i tend to see animals more as you know a, a like there's a kinship there it's not so much you know you need to do this for me or you know you're gonna be put down or whatever
0: (laughs) if this was a different podcast we just spend the rest of the time talking about this too because um, we we have like a a butcher here and my wife uh, grew up with cattle her, her father raised cattle. And so she loves cows Mm -hmm. and she's like, I can't, I literally can't be around them and look into their eyes and then eat them. So she's had to distance herself in some sense from that. Cause it's like you, you eat meat. And, um, for, for us, we've seen enough research that like meat's a really important part of our life, but it's also tough to just think like, I know what goes into the meat that I'm eating right now.
1: Yeah. 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 That's hard. (laughs) It is.
0: Um, All right. Well, so let's let's move into books. Uh, I enjoyed making a joke about the title of your book, because uh, I think I think that that's something that uh, a lot of readers will look at that and be like, wow, you picked that title. That's so bold. It's so daring. And how mundane it is. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose the title of your book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I mentioned, it is a uh, crime fiction, it is a murder mystery. um, And there's that that need in our justice system, at least for there to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And for me, what I had always kept in mind while writing it was, you know, well, well, what is reasonable doubt? And Mm -hmm. when does it become completely unreasonable and wh- when are the doubts that you're having about somebody so convincing but they still don't satisfy that need to mm, okay. that burden of proof yeah so that, that's really where the title comes from um, and and I, when it came to me i was like wow i i really just can't like deviate from that that's just that is the title and that is what i'm sticking with
0: and
1: ran it by my husband who's so he's my idea guy i brainstorm with him constantly he is uh, really needs Mm. to be sainted (laughs) <laughs> for uh, all the yeah. hours and hours he has endured, uh, listening to my ideas and listening to the entire book from start to finish at least eight times. I mean, he really yeah. deserves an award. But um, when I ran it by him, he was like, "Oh, yes, that has to be it. That is the title." So that's that's, that's how I landed on it.
0: <laughs> so there are a couple of things, and and uh, um, I'll try to organize things for listeners. Your book cover is blue. It's very blue. Yeah. There's a lot of mm-hmm. blue. What is the thought process behind blue? Because blue to me feels like the most reasonable color out there. Um, and I'd love to know how intentional was that versus intuitive, I guess.
1: Um, so that's another great question, right? Like I had this vivid image kind of come to me where i wanted it to almost look like an x-ray of a bridge because a lot of the story hinges on the fact that mia davis killed herself by jumping off of a bridge Mm -hmm. and i wanted to you know have that bridge as being like the you know main image but i wanted it to be like a memory because Mm. a lot of what happens and reasonable is told across timelines Mm -hmm. um so maybe that is how you know it probably wasn't even like 100 percent intentional but that's just kind of where i gravitated toward on the color spectrum was you know i want i knew i wanted it to look almost like an x-ray and there are somebody like me who has many many broken bones throughout Okay, Definitely yeah, I mean. knows that there's blue in an X-ray. So I was like, okay, I need to make it make sure that it aligns with that sort of gradient. <laughs>
0: okay, I like that. I like I like the idea behind that. Um In the writing of the book, did you spend time looking for a publisher, looking for an agent? What was your process for like thinking about how the story was going to get out into the world?
1: Yeah. So I mean when as i was writing it i really just wrote it for myself first and foremost because i was like i just want to get i want to prove to myself that i can do this and i had started and neglected so many projects before i wrote reasonable that part of me kind of believed that I would do the same thing. I would start this, I would get to the halfway point and then not know where to go from there and give up on it like I did with every other book. And um, that was not the case with this one. I was like, wow, I can actually do this. So when, after I was finished with it, I was like, okay, I what's the next step? So I started doing research on it and um, just a little bit of background on me. I... Did work at a literary agency for a while, like right out of college. Um, and I was in training to become an agent, and life just pulled me westward. So I wasn't able to um, fulfill that role, but I still keep in touch with the agents that I worked under, and they're phenomenal people. Um, and so I already knew going into the whole querying process that the likelihood of getting an agent is astronomically low.
0: Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick-and-mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the self-published author co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now.
1: (laughs) And so I was like, well, I'm I'm just gonna try it anyway and and see what happens. And of course, you try and you get rejected <laughs> over and over and over again. And um and it sucks, right? Like you hate that feeling, but at the same time, you have to keep perspective. Like, and I know just from being on that side of the desk, is you know, you're getting tons and tons of queries every single yeah. day, and yeah. it is very overwhelming. And you really need to just make an impact and and that's okay right and i know what shot me in the foot the most was the the word count is very high for my genre um so i knew that it was very unlikely that anything was going to happen there so i gave it you know probably like three to four months before i said to myself okay, well, I still want other people to be able to read and enjoy this. My, you know, mainly my family, my friends, and it would be so cool to just have a physical copy of my book. So I'm going to self-publish and really like, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants here. Like I just, you know, I design my book cover. I I do everything related to my book. Like everything is me. Um, and then I, and uh, some more background on I me. Mean, I, I do own uh, a small digital marketing firm, and we specialize in web design, and SEO, and uh, social media marketing, and things of that nature. So I was just like, I'm just gonna use the skills that I have there, and what I would do with an average client for myself, and see how that goes. And so far, it's been it's been amazing. I mean, like the response yes. has been incredible. For me, I mean, like I've I've sold 200 copies since Halloween, which like I know that sounds like a ridiculously low amount. But like for somebody like me who lives in the woods, who doesn't have a strong support network and is seeing that there are literal hundreds of people who want to read my book like that is that's yeah. amazing to me. That's that's everything. Like I can call it a day and be like, yep, I'm a huge success <laughs> just yeah, based yeah. on that alone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's a ton of stuff again uh, to to dive into. So one backing into some of this conversation with the 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 social media, the marketing part of it. How did you decide did you want to do that?
1: So as I was querying, I realized that a ton of agents will ask you for your Twitter handle or your X handle, whatever whatever you want to call it these days. Um, and that really stuck out to me, and I said, well, I've never been on Twitter before, and I never really wanted to be, but it seems important for this you know, industry, so I better check it out. And I just kind of on a whim started posting there and interacting with people like you and, and other people on the platform. And yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised. I really went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be just me shouting into the void, not really getting any like yeah. meaningful interaction with anyone. And it was completely the opposite. Like, Cannot stress enough how opposite it was to the point where like, I have people's phone numbers that I text like every day or, you know, people that I talk to all the time now who have become like really close friends of mine just from being on Twitter. And it's been really awesome to see that a community like that exists, especially since, you know, I have been part of many writing communities and groups and, yeah, was in a lot of like poetry slams and things like that um and there's um you know I feel like there's this idea of a writer as being you know reserved and quiet and and all these things but then like there's, there's this huge competitive side to us that we really <laughs> try to like keep under wraps yeah until you, you we all get together and then it just like super cutthroat and everybody's mm. trying to like tear each other down and like come up with reasons why mm. they're the best and everyone else sucks and I'm like okay we need to we need to slow roll this because we're all here we all have different things to contribute everybody's voice is valid like let's just let's relax a little bit. So I was yeah. nervous when I first got on Twitter. I really thought it was going to be like that. And there are, you know, obviously there are trolls on the internet, wherever you go and
0: Awful. people suck, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. but
1: um, for the most part, it's just been a really rewarding experience. And I'm so glad that I joined. And that's honestly where most of my success with Reasonable has come from is just Twitter.
0: Yeah. What I love about what you're saying is that I think that there are a lot of authors. In fact, um, the self-publishing formula or self-publishing show with Mark Dawson, um, they have completely given up on Twitter. Uh, I reached out to them and tried to share the successes I'd had and they didn't believe me. It was so weird. And I sent like quite a bit of evidence that Twitter was very successful and they're like, yeah, but those aren't, you know, sales. And I was like, they kind of are, it's just that yeah. they, they fall into my email marketing and eventually they buy people on Twitter do behave differently or X. I don't know. Um I, I go back and forth. I, I think that, <laughs> you know, out of respect, I'll, I'll call it X, but you know, like people there really respond but it also takes a minute because there's something very relational about it. It's we're not there necessarily to sell stuff. We're there to build relationships. And so it does. It's the sales cycle is a little bit longer on, on the the X platform and that's okay.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, one of the things that I have seen over and over again, I met you on X. I met uh, Rich Hosek, who he and I have done multiple book sales together, and he's uh, co-hosted this podcast. I met Chris Talon on this uh, platform, and he has co-hosted my podcast, and uh, he has his own podcast. I met Heather O'Brien. There are so many people, Juliet Willows, that have really... Um, benefited my author career but also have introduced me to new audiences where I've sold books and so it's strange to to discount Twitter as being a really important platform.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with that and I think that it's it's funny because like my husband will see me like I I was never somebody who was on my phone like at yeah. all yeah Um, me too and and now you know i'm on it constantly because of twitter and like there's this you know (laughs) this sort of like strain now where he's like oh would you get off your phone and blah blah blah. i'm like listen if it weren't so impactful i wouldn't be doing it but it's not even just the impact that it has it's the fact that there are so many wonderful people out there so many amazing writers that I would not have been exposed to if I didn't join Twitter and didn't talk yeah. to them as frequently as I do um and not only that it's it's great to learn and grow from people who are in the same boat as you and who might be doing things a little bit differently than you are and have knowledge to share you know just all of all these different things um so I really would encourage anybody who's like on the fence of like oh I don't know if it's worth it you know give it a shot just post some things post some questions that's the thing that I do like every day I have a writing question that goes up yeah um and like you know for me the marketing mindset is like you got to be consistent with it if you let it go to the wayside, then of course, it's not going to be impactful. And of course, you're not going to see the results that you're after. But if you keep up with it, and you respond diligently, and you know, you build relationships, because at the end of the day, like, that's, that's what marketing really is, is you're trying, you need to not just get a reader, you want to build a relationship with somebody and show them that like, you're not just this, you know, toity, toity, stuffed shirt who thinks like, oh, I wrote a book and like, that's that. And I'm the best thing ever. Like, no, like most writers yeah. don't feel that way about themselves. Most writers don't even like their own writing.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, We're that's, all just that's a great point. sitting
1: here trying to put our work out there to millions of people and hope that at least one of them bites. So like, we're all yeah. in the same boat. Um, and I think it's great to, to reach out to others and yeah, I'm glad that I put myself out of my own comfort zone and, and tried it because it really has been mm. such a game changer.
0: Yeah, it really has. Uh, I, I credit my friend John many times. He he does the intro for the Wednesday episode of this podcast. Um, but I credit him with being the one who kind of Woke me up to what Twitter could do. He wasn't the one who showed me the path because I actually figured that out by myself. It was him who just basically said, like, stick in and, uh, like, be here. And that is what really helped. And, and like you said, don't discount the power of social media. Um, oh, yeah. Don't, don't think that just because you don't get it at first, that it's not powerful and that it's not, um, Helpful. It's weird because I think that some people. I mean, there's enough there's enough conversation right now about like the the doom scrolling and uh, just literally being on your phone for hours and hours and hours. And you you think like, oh, you know, social media is killing me or ruining my life or something like that. And I think that can be the truth. I think it can be possible that you sit down and just scroll your feed and you never interact, or you can create. And when you create and interact, then something really amazing happens.
1: Yeah, and that, is, that really is, you know, like I said, like I, I have a marketing agency, and this is one of the complaints that I get a lot from my clients even is, you know, they'll pay for our services and they don't see the immediate response. And I'm like, listen, there is, there's a give and take with social media, you can create all day long you can put up posts if you're not responding to the comments that you're getting if you're not engaging with other people's accounts then of course it's not going to be impactful of course you're not going to see that return on your investment there needs to be there's a push and pull and you can't sit there and and you know nonstop promote your book let's say on twitter and you know and then wonder why you're not getting any book sales well of course you're not getting any book sales like <laughs> all you're doing is promoting yourself and you're not you know engaging with other people you gotta like again you have to build a relationship first and i would say probably 80 percent of the posts i put up have nothing to do with my book they are really just have to do with writing and books yeah. in general um And then you know the other twenty percent. Yeah, I'll I'll put up the occasional promo or like what I found was this was hysterical to me. A couple weeks ago, I was having a really bad uh, day for sales, Um, and I and I just posted a snapshot of the fact that it was just straight zeros all the way down the line. And like obviously, I'm uh, like a nothing, no name author. Like nobody knows who I am. Obviously, that's going to happen. But I thought. It, it really struck me as funny to see that and I was just like laughing about it and I posted it up not even like feeling sure. sorry for myself or anything I was just like this is funny and so many people responded to it and were so mm-hmm. nice to me and so kind like you know oh like keep your head up like it's it's gonna be okay and like a few people like I would say about 10 people responded and were like, I just bought a copy just based on that alone. And I was like, that is so awesome. Like, so that's what I mean. Like the community there, they really are supportive. They, you know, they see things like that and they want to help. So like, you know, like you're saying like people discount that as a platform. I think that's crazy. Like that's just, that doesn't make sense to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I wonder for one, I love, I love the vulnerability of saying like, I'm having a zeros day because uh, for most of us that happens. And also I wonder, um, how do you create readers who want to stay with you for the long haul? Because I think one of the pitfalls, one of the traps of Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, one of the pitfalls is falling into the writer community. So You can get some quick sales on your uh, hashtag writers community, but you cannot necessarily create lifetime readers the same way. And one of the ways that I made a mistake on Twitter is that I really built into the writing community and couldn't figure out how to engage the reading community. And they are very different people. It's challenging. Do you have any thoughts about how you differentiate?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I don't, maybe it's because I don't use hashtags on Twitter. And that is intentional, because I find them, you know, just in my, like, I always try to think about things from my personal experience. And when I see posts that are loaded up with hashtags, I immediately think to myself, spam not even going to like engage with this because i uh, for some reason i see that and i just like and maybe that's my own bias but that's like one of the things so i feel like by not using those hashtags and by not limiting my reach by using them i've sort of struck a nice balance between the two because i've noticed like i will get you know uh a lot of my questions have to do with writing in the process. So obviously, you know, the majority of people who are interacting with me and following me right now are in the yeah. writing community. Um, but there is a good blend of people who will see something and they'll ask questions that lead me to believe, okay, they're not a writer, but they're definitely a reader. So I think that there's, um, you know, I, I, I would explore different ways to post if that's something that people are struggling with because there is a you do tend to limit yourself when you only talk about certain topics or only do this that and the other thing so like I do try to like bring some personality into it like I'll post about things that are like not even related to writing just to like you know open the door to other people and show like you know I'm a normal person I'm just here like Trying to build relationships again, and you know, introduce you to my book. Hopefully,
0: (laughs) yeah. What I think is really interesting is that I I've completely abandoned anything that has to do with writers on my Twitter profile for a little while now because I I have noticed that
1: about your posts actually, and I was I found that very uh, and I actually took a page out of your books with that because (laughs) I was like. I like what he's doing. I like these like questions that he asks that are not related to them at all, and like I just think yeah. that that's really fun, and it's a good way to like you know again like show personality and like you know you are a normal person and just yeah out there.
0: <laughs> My growth has slowed a little bit because I think that the 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 writer community really is hungry to figure out how to sell books, but too many in the writing community are willing to just like glom onto numbers. And I started to realize that and I was like, wait a sec. So there is a sense in which I can grow my Twitter profile but not necessarily grow my readers. And I thought, how can I start to structure questions that, or or statements, because that's the other thing is I've really moved away from questions recently because I thought if I can start to make statements then people can actually take me at my word. If I ask the question like, you know, how do you feel about Roe v. Wade? I'm literally using that uh, as an example, because I could get so much interaction on how do you feel about Roe v. Wade? Or I could say like the books that I'm writing right now are trying to deal with feminist concepts uh, that I was not aware existed. And so I, I'm trying to deal with that. And so I can start to ask questions on these the the periphery, the outsides of that, and really target people on Twitter who maybe aren't like in the writing community, but are interested in these questions. And if they're interested in yeah. these questions, can then I start to funnel them toward a book that actually deals with this in a, an, an entertaining way, you know? So that's really been my I am my taking- goal. And I'm taking me, a but... note right now to remind <laughs> yeah.
1: myself. I really am because I think that that is so smart. Um, uh, like, like the, this is a perfect example of Twitter working because you and yeah. I met on Twitter and here we are sharing ideas and thinking yeah. about things in ways that we wouldn't have thought about them before. And I just think that right. that is so awesome. I am writing that down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for it. I mean, it will, like I said, it has slowed my growth down but I still am growing and the people that I'm now meeting on Twitter are not necessarily writers. And so I recently did another blast. And so in full disclosure, you and I met because I did a DM blast and I said, I have a Kickstarter going right now. That's how you and I met. You contributed Mm -hmm. to my Kickstarter because of that DM. And so that's the other piece of it is that as you build followers, it is not gross and it is not disgusting To reach out to the people who follow you and say, Hey, this is who I am. Are you interested in being part of my ecosystem? Um, And I think that that's the other part of Twitter that really falls apart is that people get scared of trying to build that one on one relationship.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think that that kind of boils down to like what, like who writers are as people. We're not very confident, you know, like we have a lot of insecurities. So, I don't think it comes naturally to a lot of us to approach people about who we are and what we do and what we write about because it feels icky, right? Like you don't, (laughs) you just like get this crippling self-doubt of like, oh, but what if they respond negatively and they don't want anything to do with me? And I'm like, well, how often does that actually happen though? In my experience, it hasn't happened yet. And I've reached out to people, like, and this is another great example of you inspiring me because that DM showed me, this is okay. I can do this. And so, again, I, I took a page out of your book and I was like, you know, if Jody's approaching me and has no idea anything about me or who I am. And I gave to his Kickstarter and now we have this yeah. like, mutual relationship. Who's to say I can't replicate that in my own life? And-, yes. and- and get that to happen for me so what I did was I identified a few authors who I was like wow they have really awesome like crazy big followings and they write books that I love and that you know fall in the same genre as what I'm writing how weird would it be if one of them responded to me and man, I'm so glad that I did that because there are yeah. like three authors that have massive followings and two of them gave me blurbs for my book. Oh, so I'm like-
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm like, this is this is incredible. And it's like, it's it's funny because you have this idea of like, oh, so-and-so has got 60,000 followers. So she's not ever going to give me the time of day, but like, they're just people. And right. they're, you know, like, and that I think- Kind of goes back to my experience at the literary agency where I worked was mm. you know, we we had some really big names in the industry. And yeah, um, you know, I don't like to really like talk about it too much because I don't like sure, to, sure. you know, um it's just a privacy thing. Yeah, but you know, and I also am I'm not a bragger, I don't like to use that like, you know, clout of like, oh, I was doing this for so and so, but like They're normal people, too. Like, even the ones that have, like, mega deals and their books are made into movies, like, they are just normal people. And I think that we'd all live a lot better, more fulfilling lives if we didn't waste time and energy on thinking they're going to think less of me because of who I am and because I am nobody. Like, no, you're not. And I say that's something that I say a lot on my profile because it's very tongue-in-cheek like I know I'm not a nobody but a lot of times those feelings creep in yeah. and that's natural because I really you know yeah yeah like that's again like we're insecure creatures writers so like you are always going to have that little nagging voice in the back of your head of like I'm not good enough but yeah yeah you are actually yeah <laughs>
0: I, I love so. Um, a, a guy I've been following for a long time and I really, really appreciate what he's saying is Alex Dramosi. Um, I mentioned him a lot on this podcast, and uh, as I'm sure many, many hundreds, maybe even thousands, tens of thousands of people are, but um, he he put out a thing on Instagram the other day and he said, um, I'm really tired of this culture of people saying, like, you deserve whatever. He's like, deserving is actually destroying what we're doing because I don't deserve anything. I work for things. And then only, only when I actually accomplish the thing I worked for, do I get to experience the greatness of what I achieved. I'm four books into a nine book series and every single day lately I find myself thinking, boy, it would be great if I had some central location for all of my notes, all of my plot points, character names, family lineages, you name it. I wish it was in one place because... Let's be honest, the way that I am using Microsoft Word as a word processor and have 55 different documents to keep track of all of the series details that I need to access, I'm taking more time opening up files wondering, why did I name this one that? Why did I name this one that? And not getting the information I need. Enter Scrivener. You guys know that I do not advertise for things unless A, I'm using them myself and B, I think that you could up your game, sell more books, do better marketing and get yourself in the game better. And that is why I am now partnered with Scrivener. If you use the link in the show notes, you get a 30 day free trial and then you can sign up as well for a discount. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. If I felt like I deserved it, then I, there's no excitement in achieving it because I already deserved it. Like I'm just getting what I already deserved. My just desserts. I think the truth is, is that we we like bust our asses to accomplish these things. And in a really strange way, as much as this hurts for people listening, you're probably going to spend tens of hundreds of hours to get a small number of book sales and every book sale along the way is going to feel like a breath of air in a suffocating environment and that's okay at first because there is a point when it starts to too too turn and suddenly we go from the moment of having like a book sale a day to 10 and when we have 10 book sales a day it's like whoa I can start to think about this at scale. I can think about this as a career, a hundred, a thousand book sales a day. And then you start to think about Stephen King or uh, James Patterson or Dean Koontz or whoever it might be that you love who's at the top of your particular genre and realize in order to have the million book sales that they had, there are tens of thousands that are happening every day. Mm -hmm. every day yeah we have a long way to go but oh yeah yeah it's a great feeling to to realize like that can actually happen
1: yeah and i think that that is an important thing to keep in mind it's like i'm very much at the beginning of my journey and i realize that i have to remind myself of that constantly because you know you pour so much of yourself into these projects and you're spending time away from your family you're you know burning the candle at both ends so to speak yeah absolutely it's just like you know like because you know obviously i'm not living off of my book sales yet that would be really sad (laughs) yes but um you know so but i i have to write 10 articles every day to support myself and my family Yeah, And only after that do I allow myself to spend, you know, another like (laughs) six to eight hours focusing on like, you know, so I'm putting in like 12, 14 hour days every day, every day. So it's, you know, it's not, uh, uh, there was somebody, uh, uh, some troll on Twitter who said that, you know, something to the effect of like, oh, why do people who think that they're lazy enough to write a book, like should be uh praised for it and I'm like right. wow lazy hmm that is not a word I would use to describe myself
0: yeah exactly <laughs> because yeah. you
1: know you you have to you have to really work at it and it's hard work and it's not always rewarding work but yep it's it's work that every author every single one has put in so you got to yeah. get in line and and get working <laughs>
0: Absolutely, I think it's really important and one of, one of the things that I think distinguishes authors who will uh, achieve great things and authors who won't is the people who understand that distinction of like you're going to put in the time. Um, yeah, I come from a culture where hard work was like the thing and mm-hmm. um, in that there there actually is uh, a piece of wisdom that I really like. you mentioned the the phrase uh, burn the candle at both ends. Um, and there's a guy named Grant Cardone. Um, I don't love everything about him anymore. I used to really love everything about him, but I've kind of separated from a few things that he's doing. Nevertheless, he says, I'm not actually a candle. I can burn at every end and never run out. And I think that that's a really important thing to realize is the difference between doing what you and I are doing and doing what some people are doing I want to be careful about the way I phrase that, is that like I literally am not a piece of wax. I can burn yeah. forever. I can just yes. keep burning from every end. And the cool thing about it is that when you know where you're going, you have unlimited fuel. We are like nuclear fission. There is no stop to what we can do when we know where we're going. The, the point where people have criticized is that, you know, they're like, oh, aren't you scared of burnout? And I'm like, no, I'm not scared of burnout. I know where I'm going. But when you lose sight of what you're trying to do, then burnout is very close to you. It's the moment where you're like, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that should always be a signal to you is I'm lost right now. I need to stop I need to look at my compass. I need to figure out where I'm going. I need to figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing. And maybe something that I'm doing is not in service of the greater mission. And more often than not, that is what causes burnout is that you're just doing activity to feel busy. If you can stop doing activity to feel busy and start doing it to actually achieve something, you'll never experience burnout ever.
1: I could not agree with this more. This is something that, I've noticed, um, especially, you know, one of the things that I like to post about is, you know, my progress as a writer, because I think that um, it is it, it's interesting to see how people um, there's a there's an author that I follow. Her name is Justina Luther, and I she is just incredible to me because she has written so prolifically, like uh, 11 books in a year or something.
0: Oh, I just lost you
1: to see oh, oh yes. i'm sorry I, no it's totally um, fine i lost you for you yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: i lost you for about uh 20 seconds so justina luther is the last thing okay
1: yes yeah, so i i follow justina luther and she is just someone who completely blows my mind because she wrote something like 11 books in her first year and i just was blown away by that and she's very inspiring to me because She's not just writing books. she's taking care of her father. and she, you know, does all these other things that is just like it's it's very inspiring to me to see her journey. And um, so I was inspired by her posting about that and decided to, especially as I was finishing up um, my sequel, in, back in January, I was posting a lot about my progress and I would get people commenting like, oh, you better be careful. You're going to burn out soon and yada yada. And I'm like, I really don't think I'm anywhere close to that though. Like, and yeah. I w- I'm waking up at like six o'clock in the morning every day and my days yeah. don't end until six o'clock at night. Like, yeah. so like, and yeah, I yeah. don't feel, any- I don't feel tired. I'm nowhere near tired. Like, please give me another project to work on.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly okay so um two things and then we need to wrap up so the first thing is I want to know from you why you chose to use uh, a, a, a pen name I don't understand it and I'm not being critical of it I just don't get like I choose a pen name when your brand is so big like think think of Stephen King and and, and I know you're gonna give me a great response so don't don't take me being critical it's just where I'm at in my life like I yeah. use my own name to build my brand and I've used my face a ton because I want people to connect me with my books. Why did you choose a pen name?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, my decision to use a pen name is twofold. I, I don't have a great relationship with my family Okay, and, um, I had legitimate fears that people might, you know, see what I was writing or, mm you know, that I was writing and intentionally tried to wow. um, discredit me or, or, you know, do something to harm my efforts there. So I decided I didn't want to fall victim to that. And I didn't want to deal with that drama. Um, so that was number one. And my decision to pick this particular pen name uh, came from my dad always called me Kitty Carlisle growing up. Oh, and I never, I never understood it, but it always made me laugh. And so obviously now that he's gone and I, you know, so much of my decision to even write wow. this book was based on, you know, wanting to honor him and his wow. memory. Okay. I said, okay, I want to like, I, I'm obviously not going to rip Kitty Carlisle's name from her, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'll do a wow. little like play on it. And um, so that's where Katie Carlisle came that came from. Wow.
0: Okay. That's, that's crazy. Um, there's, yeah, that's, that's a great reason. If I've ever heard a good reason for a pen name, I I like that. Um, I, I will say, and, and people who listen to this podcast frequently know, um, my family is not particularly supportive. And when I say not particularly, that's a little tongue in cheek, like my family is kind of (laughs) awful about it um but uh yeah it it it's interesting that the people that should be closest to you and i say should with quotes uh or are, are the ones who oftentimes were not going to support your journey
1: oh yeah absolutely and i think that like again that was made abundantly clear to me just mm. with experimentation um posting from my personal like facebook account um versus posting on twitter so i'll have days where i'll just like do a little social experiment and i'll post the same thing from my personal facebook as i do to my twitter and the response that i always get on twitter is astronomically higher than it ever would be from my personal account so i'm just like yeah i'm just gonna lean into my katie carlisle identity and and you know get my support from twitter because that's where it's at really (laughs) (laughs)
0: Absolutely. I love it. So for uh, all of the people who have listened this far into the podcast and are interested to to learn more about you and connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, yeah. Go to my website, uh, ktcarlisle.com. Um, you can find everything about my books there, all of my social media handles, everything KT Carlisle is there. And my wonderful, fabulous web designer built it. We get a lot of compliments on it. So go check it out.
0: <laughs> Lovely. And for people who maybe want to use your services, because you talked about doing some marketing, what uh, how would they connect with you?
1: Oh, yeah. So if you go to uh, wordnerdservices.com. Um, you can check us out there and uh, we, like I said, we do web design SEO. Um, a lot of what I do day to day is, uh, blogging related, um, you know, social media campaigns. So pretty much runs the gambit. Anything digital marketing related is our bread and butters.
0: Very cool. I'm going to keep you for a couple more minutes, but we're going to end the podcast here. So, uh, uh, thank you so much for your time. It was really enjoyable. And also, I haven't said it so far in the podcast, but thank you for being a contributor to my Kickstarter. Um, the 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 audiobook series has been a huge success, and I think you were a, a really big part of that. Thank you.
1: Oh, my gosh. No problem at all. I love to support fellow authors, and I just I, I love this community. So anything to, to do that, I'm more than happy to do.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you.